Welcome to the Growth Investing Secret Podcast. This is Calvin Sito. And this is Jonathan Ang. The reason why we started this podcast is to help each household to have at least one full-time investor by investing to high growth companies called Superstocks. We didn't come from well-to-do backgrounds and after many years of investing, we finally became full-time investors before the age of 30. This was only possible with growth investing. Our mission is to help both beginner and experienced investors get better investment returns. Don't settle for less. It is very possible that you can achieve out-of-the-world results and we have proven that it is possible through the returns of our community. So now, let's be committed to learn, dive in and get started on today's episode. All content from participants shall not be treated as professional advice or recommendation to buy or sell any position in any financial-related instruments. The content is made available for educational purpose only. We may buy any securities mentioned and we may stand to benefit financially if they rise in value. You should seek independent financial and legal advice before making any financial decisions. Welcome to the Growth Investing Secrets Podcast. Today, we are very fortunate to have the CEO of Pointera, Ian Olson, to join us and share more about his company. So for listeners who are new to this company, Pointera helped their clients process, classify, and store their 3D data on the cloud. And from there, clients can do visualizations and get insights out of their 3D data. So to start off, Ian, being the CEO of Pointera, could you share with us the story of why and how you started Pointera? And was there like an epiphany moment that drove you to start the business? Sure. Well, I'm a big believer, Jonathan, in this philosophical saying that preparation meets opportunity. So people say, oh, was it luck that you ended up in a room with some of the founders of Nearmap and a technology team that came out of um, the global iron ore miner Rio Tinto back in 2015? So the reason we're all in that room was preparation meeting opportunity. So myself, I'd owned a survey business since 2007. That survey business, uh, amongst other activities, was in the business of generating 3D data using laser scanners for customers. So I'd experienced firsthand, I've got a finance background, but you know, I'd invested in this, in this private business. And so I'd experienced firsthand how painful the workflow was. The laser scanners that back in the day were principally on tripods, but now they're on planes and drones and helicopters and cars and backpacks, you know, you name it. And even, you know, the autonomous vehicle sector is those cars are covered in LIDAR sensors unless it's a Tesla. And so the capturing is the easy bit and you're generating data because you want to manage the physical world. And imagery is, is fantastic for managing the physical world, but it's 2D, it has X and Y. And so, you know, if you're trying to manage the physical world with a degree of precision, you need the depth, you need depth. And the depth is a Z or the Z um, component of, of the data set. And the, the laser scanners generate this massively dense data set called a point cloud, hence the name of our company, Point Terra. That point cloud is, is generated so that someone can do something with that data as because it's it's a scan of, of the physical world, of a building, of a of a port, of a of a of a road, of a mine, uh, of a of a process facility, um, and every day all around the world, tens of thousands of people get out of bed, and they they get they get this equipment, or they hop into a plane or a helicopter, and they go and generate three D data. That's the easy bit. The hard bit is processing it into usable information and generating insight, getting answers. And that traditionally, since this, um, this technology has been in the, in the commercial sector, which is in the mid 1990s, it's been a bunch of desktop software applications that you have to run, uh, merge a bunch of data files through just to get the result. And that process can take days and weeks and very frustrating. The customer sees you on site scanning their facility 
And instead of delivering them the answer or the data or the insight that day, you know, it can be weeks before you get back to them. So in 2015, I was asked to meet with this technology team that had come out of Rio Tinto, um, the, the, the global iron ore miner, and a couple of the Nearmap founders just to say, I, I got a call from someone who was looking at putting some, some, some capital into this business, this early stage business, which is now called Pointera. And they said, hey, um, Ian, you've got a um, surveying business, you've got a business that generates 3D data. Is, is this actually a problem? Is this 3D data thing actually a problem? And can you come and look at this technology solution and tell us if, if it actually solves a problem or if it's just one of those fantastic technology solutions looking for a problem? I think that's a, that's a significant distinction there. Is it a solution to a problem or is it a solution looking for a problem to solve? And, and it was very much the former. And at, at that meeting, I met with the Nearmap founders, a couple of the Nearmap founders, including their current CEO, Rob Newman. And they you know, the, the guys did their pitch and said, this is what we've done. We've built this mathematical solution. We think it's novel. We're going to apply for patents, but we don't really have any idea about a business model or how to commercialize it. And the, the two Nearmap founders, Rob Newman and uh, Graham Griffiths, uh, educated me about software as a service, SaaS. And the cloud, you know, back in 2015, the cloud was people starting to use the cloud for storage, but cloud compute wasn't as well understood. And so what we literally did on a whiteboard in that meeting, Jonathan, was um, was come up with a business model that we thought we could wrap around this technology. And that was the birth of Pointera in, in May of 15. So, you know, a bunch of people came together because they're asked to by, by someone who'd looked at the tech and said, okay, well, that looks like an interesting solution, but you know, what's the business model? And I think when analysts and investors ask us what our point of difference is, yeah, we've got a, a technology stack that, that enables us to do some pretty cool things, but it's our business model that's very powerful because it's that the way we deploy our, our tech stack into the cloud and the way we deliver the answers and the insight from 3D data to our customers and we do it, we simplify something that's really complex and we do it way faster than anyone else. And, and, and that was how it all came together. Thank you. Wow. I think uh, the part where you shared about the pain that the customer felt, right? I think uh, that must be frustrating. So now let's talk a little bit about your early investors that I think some uh, investors may not know, right? Pointera is such a small company. However, we found it uh, interesting that Bevan Slattery, who is known mm. as Elon Musk of Australia, actually yeah. invested early on into Pointera. So could you share yes. with us the story about how he found out about you, who is such a sure. small company back then? and what was so compelling yeah. about Pointera for him to invest yeah. uh, in us amongst all the other thousands of small companies out there? Well, Evans, uh, yeah, the Elon Musk of Australia, he he laughs when you use that line. For, you know, he's a guy from country, uh, country Queensland, a place called Rockhampton, and he's an entrepreneur, and that's why people call him the Elon Musk, right? And what he has done is taken technology ideas from Australia and figured out and ones that have got global opportunity and then taken them to the world and has trod the road that we're trying to tread, which is take an Australian tech solution, you know, from a pretty, you know, a person, pretty isolated part of the world and, and take that global. And so we met during lockdown last year um, in sort of around April when, you know, when COVID first started to impact the world and we're all working from home and using Zoom like this. And he was, he'd been pestered by a friend of his who was an investor in Pointera to take a look at this business. And I think for Bevan and for me, it was not so much about our story, but the people. And I think Bevan is a great Australian in that he gets behind people who are trying to have a crack. We have a phrase in Australia, Jonathan, it's called having a crack, right? 
like having a go and in many cases just you know overcoming significant obstacles and I think he was fascinated by the opportunity by the cloud play by the fact that it was global I think he was looking for customer validation we'd already started to sign up customers and and, and, and grow revenue and he he said look I I can come in. I'm not going to be an active investor. I'm not going to be a passive investor, but you know, I can help you. And and behind the scenes, he's certainly been fantastic since he's come on board last July. And I guess to some extent that his involvement shone a light on our company. And then we started to produce some results, some um, you know, some earnings, um, some some revenue growth, and you know, and and the market got behind us. And and obviously we ran up to you know to that eighty or ninety cents uh, earlier this year before before the whole broader tech industry came off a bit so you know at any point in time we're trying to get to 50 million us uh, recurring revenue as our first hurdle and you know we're at 10 at the minute so you know we're on our way and i guess the, the share price is going to be driven by the market's perception of, of our performance about getting to that goal because certainly if we you know our first hurdle is 50 million our second hurdle is 100 million us in recurring revenue and at those levels our valuation will be many times its current level I do not want US listeners to think crack as cocaine. <laughs> uh, let's move a, on. Oh, yes, yes. No, having a crack. No, having a crack is an Australian uh, term for having a go, you know? Right. And, um, and that's what Bevan saw in us. Some guys from Australia taking a business global, having a crack, having a go. And he, and he said, and we just relate, you know, Bevan and I um, chat from time to time on, on WhatsApp and, and we just, we're, you know, we've got similar backgrounds and um, in terms of being entrepreneurial and yeah. And we're all having a go. Thanks. I like how Bevan is kind of like smart money, where he brings in not just uh, the money, but he brings in all the connections as well that all of you need. And yeah, his Rolodex, Jonathan, um, <laughs> is tremendous. And he's involvement in way more private companies than he does public. And so some, so a lot of that's not in the public domain, but there's some very cool opportunities for us to work with other businesses in his portfolio of private and public companies. Thank you. Now, Ian, I want to move a little bit over to 3dinsights.ai. So uh, mm-hmm. over the years, you have figured out that customers don't really want 3D data. What they really want are the answers they can get out of the data to solve their yep. problem. And this has been a tipping point in my opinion. So as most listeners come from a diverse background, not everyone may understand the geospatial industry. Could you yep. give a specific example of how a customer benefited from 3dinsights.ai? And when sure. we talk about insights, what exactly are we talking about? Okay. So if, if you're managing, let's say you're Singapore Power, I think it's called Singapore Power, and you're managing the poles and wires, and, and I guess because it's such a small country, you've got a lot of underground power. But there's still in the suburbs, there's still power, power lines strung from poles. You know, you're trying to keep the lights on, right? Keep the air conditioning on, keep the power on. And in a climate like yours, where there's a lot of the vegetation grows very fast and there's lots of construction going on, there are things happening in the real world, in the physical world, that endanger the, the continuity of power delivery. The, vegetation coming in contact with poles and wires and and people putting structures where they shouldn't too close to poles and wires. Then the wind blows and things fall over and fires start and horrible things happen. So when you're a utility, and we're just using the utility sector here, you might spend, perhaps not in Singapore, but some of the US utilities or our customers spend tens of millions of dollars a year acquiring data, aerial, mobile, terrestrial, 2D and 3D data to understand that massive network that might be over 50,000 square miles. Um, because they spend, one of our customers spends $100 million a year just cutting vegetation away from their poles and wires network. So they're trying to figure out how to schedule that, that maintenance effort 
and they they acquire huge amounts of data um, in order to do that. But it, the time it, the time it takes from the capture of the data to actually understanding how to schedule that maintenance program is painful for them. It's too long, and when when asked what they want the data for, it's oh we want to better understand our network. And so, you know, if you our, our philosophy has been create a deep relationship with the customer, a deep level of trust, and then after after time that customer rather than going out to the market each year and saying, um, you know, okay, let's go and acquire more data. Okay, data provider, put it in Pointera's platform um, and then they'll do their stuff. The, the customer turns to us and says, guys, you're independent. We call ourselves the Switzerland of the 3D data sector. We're not, we're not in the capture space. We don't do capture, but we have lots of customers that do and we know the market pretty well. So the, the clients are increasingly saying to us or our customers are increasingly saying to us, Jonathan, we trust you to get us the answers to give us the insight. And we know that you, when we, maybe we don't have to worry about procuring data anymore. So, so 3dinsight.ai is the purest expression of our relationship with our customers where we've been involved with them for, for a few years. Um, we've built that level of trust. Um, we're deeply integrated into their workflow and they, they increasingly rely on us to, to give them that independent advice. And that includes sourcing data for them. And so they and, and the, the reason it's called 3dinsight.ai is that we see asset management, Jonathan's about, um, about predicting change. So uh, most asset management, whether it's repairing a hole in the road or fixing a power line, happens after an event. It's reactive. So something happens, the crew goes and fixes it. If you can get out in front of it and predict what's going to happen before it happens, predictive analytics, then you can make massive, massive, massive savings in, in, your, in your maintenance program, like big, big savings. So that's where the value is. And so how do you get predictive? You need lots of data capture over shorter epochs, uh, time gaps between, and then you need um, algorithms that, that are smart, that learn. So, um, so neural networks and, and machine learning algorithms that, that can say, well, the rate of change of growth of this particular tree in this area of Singapore means that these poles are going to be are going to need to be um, the vegetation crews are going to have to go in in three months' time. So, if you can deliver that level of insight to a customer, um, so that they can better maintain their network or the thing they care about, you, that's you know that's massive value, massive value, and and that's that's you know when we set our business up, you know at the starting it was just hey. Let's, let's manage your data. Let's get it all in one place. Let's put it in the cloud. Let's have it adjacent to compute so we can help you um, query it faster and, and leverage it across your enterprise. But as, that, as that's matured and our relationship with the customers has matured, you know, we're, we're getting to that point where we're actually delivering the answer to them or the insight to them before they've even asked. And that's very powerful. So hence 3D Insight. Well, I like the part where you shared how they spend hundreds and millions of dollars. I think it's not just on vegetation, but I was looking on PG&E uh, income statement and they spend, yep. they park aside millions and millions of dollars on wildfire expense. And yep. just to give some context, I think big companies like PGE, they are going on a 1 million ACV, right? Because they are about 150 to 200 PCM, right? So I think uh, the value proposition is huge. What if they could spend less uh, from uh, the insights that they get from Correct. your services? Okay. Correct. 
Now, I want to do a follow-up question, right? So in the recent quarter, you shared about a milestone of securing uh, the first commercial order for 3D Insight. And this is really exciting because it shows product market fit. It shows validation. And in addition, yep. you, you also shared about the potential that 3D Insight can actually be the largest and most yep. valuable part of Pontera. Yep. So could you share with us the upcoming plans for this? So how is Pontera planning to accelerate this? And what will it take for this segment to take off and provide sure. material contribution? Okay. So if it made sense for us to capture 3D data and we had a massive balance sheet and we decided that our plan was to go and own our own data, then we would spend hundreds of millions, probably billions of dollars flying and driving the whole planet and generating our own library of 3D data. Now, we made a call a long time ago um, when we set the business up that 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 capture space is competitive, there's high capex, it's complex, it's low margin. And we wanted to stay once we built a business that stood just to the side of capture. And because we never, it, we, we didn't want to be in that space. We wanted to be in the space where the big problem was, which is the workflow space. So solving that problem. So that said, um, when, um, when, a, when we turn to a, a customer, say a utility that we've got a deep relationship with, um, and, they're, and they're spending tens of millions of dollars a year acquiring data. We've, we've gone to different data owners and, and people that generate data for different means. So HIA, um, uh, uh, a classic example, our, our, our partnership with HIA, who, um, who, are, who are spun out of Nokia and um, have a mobile, um, mobile mapping business, a global mobile mapping business, a bit like Google Maps and Street View but they generate mapping data for the autonomous vehicle programs of the German and um, they're owned by a conglomerate of the German and Japanese automakers. And, and they've got cars in Australia and Singapore, every part of the world, driving the, driving the streets on a daily basis, generating and updating this map, this single source of truth that, that those automakers are using in their autonomous vehicle programs. That data um, has massive value in a platform like ours to... Um, because we can extract information from it and sell it to third parties, the local authorities, the utilities, the people that own the road network, the um, architects and engineers that want to see building facades with more fidelity than just street view. So they want, they want, you know, they want a 3D view of a, of a, um, of a, of a, you know, of a facade of a building, for example. And so it took us a while, but we, we convinced, um, we convinced um, here and we're working with other mapping companies like here that if we entered into a revenue share with them, we could repurpose that LIDAR that they're, that they're otherwise not using in, in the space we're in. And so, while, so we don't pay for it, um, but we have access to it and we can extract insight from it on our 3D Insight platform and we can get customers to subscribe to that because they're, they're updating, particularly in the built up areas and the CBDs, the, the central business districts and the, the high population areas, they're driving those roads at least once a year, sometimes twice, sometimes three times a year. So that, so the data is not, it's um, the, the fact that it doesn't cost us anything and, and we can do a revenue share with the data owner in this case here, is a massive competitive advantage compared to and and the value proposition to our to our marketplace to our customers is significant because we're saying hey here's a um, here's a subscription an amount of money per month that you pay us and you'll have access to all this information that otherwise you would have had to have gone procure yourself uh, so it's very powerful. Thanks. I think it's really clear on the business direction there, and I like how you always consciously talk about being asset light 
or you do not want to go to the low margin business of the part of the no, industry? No, it's a, you know, a cloud business by its nature should be high margin. And so you've got to stay in your lane. It would be really tempting to get out of our lane and, and go and, you know, and we, you know, we had a, we've got a market cap that's a lot more than it was. So we could raise a bit of money and, you know, perhaps go and capture our own data. But, but we know that that data is out there. And, and, and so getting data owners to allow us to repurpose it and use it for other applications and enter into a revenue share with them is a much smarter model than, than going and driving it or flying it ourselves. Great. I like that blue ocean strategy. Now, I want to mm. move on to the Aerovan acquisition. Uh, recently, mm -hmm. we made an acquisition on Aerovan and we think this yep. is uh, extremely synergistic and complementary to Pointera's solutions. And the transaction terms, I think, are very win-win because there's skin in the game for the founders to actually uh, yep. stay on. So could you share with us a little more about the rationale of this acquisition? Sure. Is, is it any unique technology that they develop no. or any no. intangible assets like R&D in the pipeline? Oh, look, they do. They have come with a technology stack, Jonathan, which is great, but it was about the people. I mean, now, if your listeners and viewers watched our um, ASX presentation from a couple of weeks ago, where we introduced some new branding and, and livery and some a refinement in the way we discussed our, we describe our platform, you know, with um, Pointera 3D Core, Pointera 3D Analytics and, and Pointera 3D Answers. To sell the answers suite to a customer, you're typically pitching to the C-suite, um, to the executives, you know, sometimes at a company like PGE. And um, so whilst we get great engagement at the operational level with, with a lot of our customers, it's the, you know, the people that hold the budget and, and are prepared to make those seven-figure annual investments in a platform like ours, you have to take a million poles in a network and distill, the, uh, and distill what that means down into a couple of simple business information pages, you know, um, dashboards, if you will that a C-level person can make sense of, a risk person, the CEO, COO. And so the in, in Matt and Jonathan and Ori and Logan at, at Aerovant, four guys who'd, who'd grown and exited a few businesses in the, uh, in the geospatial sector in North America, it was very much about them and their pedigree. And, you know, they bought a tech stack, a 2D tech stack that we're using uh, and it had sort of spun up a drone business and have some fantastic customers that unfortunately I can't name, but some real high profile tier one customers in North America. And yeah, so it was very much about the people. And, and in our verticals, which is the surveying and mapping space, then the transport sector and then utilities, then mining oil and gas, um, the AEC space, architecture, engineering, construction, and then defense and intelligence. To build out our, our core product suite in each of those verticals, we need people with domain knowledge, in the BD and sales sector. So people have deep domain knowledge and then build out the dev team with people who've been building geospatial technology solutions in those specific verticals. For the Aerobank guys, uh, it was about the people. And, and I think we'll be making more of those acquisitions of that sort of five to 30 person team over the next few years as a pathway as, uh, to step our growth up. Because the our, our, our growth path to 50 mil ACV and then 100 mil ACV, Jonathan, is about people. Um, and 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 getting the right people is is the hardest is the hardest part of that journey. Ian, can I ask if their footprint in the US actually was a huge determining factor for you to acquire them as well? Well, you know, think about when um, you know I haven't been to the US since last March, and I used to go there every six or eight weeks. So you know, our team has grown from five to seventeen people, I think, in that time. And that's been quite frustrating. So having lead people with leadership and profile in that geospatial sector and that mapping sector in North America has just been fantastic for us. And that's what those guys have brought. So leadership, um, 
the profile in the sector, profile with the with the target customers, and uh, and it just you know it, it helps. I mean, North America, you don't have to be that smart. I mean, Australia is a big country, right? But it's only got you know twenty five odd million people. North America is the same landmass with three hundred million people. So the opportunities in 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 North America for our platform and our business are, are massive. And and ultimately, we see ourselves probably being a, a Nasdaq listed company, you know, in the next few years. Now, I want to move a little bit since we are talking about the U.S., right? So as Pointero continues to expand in the U.S., like I think you said, the Aerovan team is uh, crucial in scaling up the U.S. operations. So we see really huge billion-dollar utility companies like PG&E and Eversource. I'm just wondering, right, can you give listeners some insights on how does Pointera land these meetings and get this uh, big boy's attention? After all, I mean, Pointera is such a small company and I would imagine and assume that it's already a very competitive market out there in the US. So it's competitive market, Jonathan, for capture. So capture, and most of the utilities use aerial capture and the pricing, you just it's a place you wouldn't want to be in. And unfortunately, that means that the data gets dumbed down and people have to take you know, cut corners to try and deliver the data to the customer and still make money. So we actually appeal to the mapping sector and say, hey, use our data processing analytics and you can recover margin that you've lost in trying to win that project. And then we say to the customer, hey, we can get you, that plane's just landed instead of waiting three months for that data to be offshored and, and, and processed in a, in a place like India or the Philippines. Um, Get your get your get your mapping partner to stick it in our platform, and we'll get you that answer, that insight within hours or days. So it's really compelling at the operational level. Look, the the, the geospatial community is like a lot of niche communities that are sort of not that well understood, or not that you know. There's not a lot of transparency around it to the to the retail investor, to the high net worth investor, to the man or woman in the street. Um, it's a small community globally, so everyone knows everyone. So they you know we're we're not when we're not an overnight business we've been around six six years as a public company and, and eight years um since we you know since we were an idea back in 2013 so we're very well known in our community and um the mapping companies you know who think they're who see us as a competitor are starting to realize that we're actually a a a, a platform they can use to make their business more profitable the utilities um you know so and our um you talked about Blue Ocean before. Our moat, our, our competitive advantage is our business model. So whilst there are tons of technology platforms, cloud and desktop, trying to make sense of 3D data, the way, we've, the way we've deployed our tech stack and our business model is, remains to this day our point of difference. And so we don't, we, there are lots of people trying to compete for the capture of 3D data and then the analysis and interpretation of it. And we don't actually compete with any of those people if they if um, that's our pitch. Some of them think some of them think they compete with us, but they actually don't. The ones that the ones that are in the capture space should actually be have should should be, and some are, and particularly the entrepreneurial ones, are using us as a way to lower their cost of business, right? So in a really high low margin game, if you can gain a few points back by being smarter about how you process data once you've captured it, then then we'll help you. Thanks. And increasingly, those um, those utilities are going to market and saying, "Hey, here's an RFP for you know a million dollars worth of capture, um, you know fifty thousand poles, whatever the number is. Um, you need to deliver your data in Pointera into our Pointera account." 
So the utilities are, are, are themselves, as they adopt our platform as their sort of central data, common data environment and their repository for their digital twin, they're actually saying to the capture community, hey, whether it's mobile, aerial, terrestrial, you need to, you need to, um, you need to deliver your data into our Pointero platform. Wow. So in a way, you have become the visa of 3D transactions. <laughs> in yeah. the way. Well, that's it. Yeah. To think it simply, we, right? To put it simply. Yep. No, that's a great, that's a great analogy, Jonathan. <laughs> Thanks. Now, I want to do a follow-up on this US operations. What do you think will take for Pointera to scale up in the US? And what are some challenges that you are currently facing? And you think once this is solved, Pointera yep. can scale up much easily? Sure. So the easy thing to do, Jonathan, any business requires people, capital, and a thing to do. The thing, our thing is our, is our solution, is our business model. <laughs> the capital's there. You know, I could raise 10, 20, 30 million dollars tomorrow and not massively dilute our cap structure and then use that money to go and hire a lot of people and give me extra buffer to, for that extra cost before the revenue started to, to come. And that's what a lot, particularly a lot of VC, private equity funded um, companies in our space do. They, you know, they get a series C or D round of, you know, 50 million US. And the only place to spend it is on people. And what they invariably do is hire too many people too quickly. And they look, and a year later, and we've had this happen to customers of ours in North America, they, a year later, almost all those people they hired are gone because they were a bad fit. But they had to hire them because they had to deploy the capital. And they had to deploy the capital because the funds would only invest minimum amounts. So the fact that we've been ASX listed and a, and a minnow and have made do with, you know, less than 15 million Australian dollars worth of worth of startup capital has actually in my in my view worked in our favor it's made us uh, it's made us more lean uh, it's made us very focused and the founders Jonathan myself and the other founders and the management team we own 45 percent of the company so we we're very aligned with shareholders like yourselves um, of keeping our cap structure tight but we also want to grow the business because the only way to grow the valuation is to grow the business and to grow the business we need more people so to, you know, just to swing back to, your, to, to, to the question you asked, the impediment to growth is people. Um, and, and finding the right people is key. Uh, and, and those people, they need domain knowledge. So they need to know the sector. Um, and they need to either be BD in sales or they need to be in the dev and product team. Um, but apart from ticking those boxes, the most important one is emotional intelligence. Um, so it's a certain type of person that... Um, that can come into our business. We were on a very, very flat business. Um, there, you know, there, there are hierarchies and, and roles and responsibilities, but it's very flat. And what does that mean? It means that anyone who wants to have a crack, who wants to have a go and, and, and accelerate themselves and our business as fast as they can, we, we provide that platform for them. Um, what happens in business as in life is that things go wrong. Things rarely work as you'd hope they would, either with a customer or with the tech solution. So knowing that things will go wrong, the, 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 the great businesses and the great teams, the great sporting teams and, and people that, are, that generally outperform the most of the population, they, they, the key point of difference for them is their emotional intelligence. And what does that mean? It means that when stuff goes wrong, which it always will, people, rather than focusing on what went wrong and trying to lay off blame or or have an argument about it, they actually move on and say, well, okay, that happened. What are we going to do about it? Right? So we didn't win that deal. Why didn't we win it? What are we going to do about it? Um, 
that that little enhancement to the solution fell over. Okay, what are we going to do about it? And and great teams and great businesses are full of people with very high emotional intelligence. So and and that that personal that personal trait is what I look for because if you've got that, it means that you will react in a mature way and a forward-looking way when things don't work out as as you thought they would. And that's my biggest challenge. And it's harder when you when you're interviewing over Zoom and you can't be face to face is making that judgment call on people. So we're really careful. We're in a massive hurry, but we're also really careful about who we let into our business because if they don't have those right character traits and something happens, we all have to focus on them and how they've reacted to the problem, not actually fixing the customer problem. It's, it's, the, most, it's, the, it's the most important thing, I think, in the, growth event, in the development of any high growth business. Thanks, Ian. I think that's some really great insights. And I think let's move on to the, the stock price action. So looking at the stock price action of Pointera, I think it has been volatile based on my experience. There are two parts to this and it is due to expectations by the market. I think the first part will be the excitement that was built up around the potential 25 uh, US defense opportunities, which I think continues to be very exciting. And when the general market saw that there hasn't been any ACV coming in from this uh, segment, uh, the yep. excitement kind of died down, which I think is absolutely short-term. As a long-term, like for me, uh, we actually uh, averaged down even more, we bought even more stocks because we know that it just it's just a matter of time for you guys to land yep. a contract. However, I think, you know, long-term investors like myself, we understand volatility. We understand it's a complex process, right? To navigate around the US Department of Defense and our US Defense sector consultant has moved to become a full-time role as well to, yep. to, to respond to the sheer scope of opportunities. Yep. So could you share with us some developments of our US Defense opportunities and sure. how large of a potential ACV contract we are looking at? Sure. So... Knowing as everyone would, it's just in, it's intuitively it makes sense that selling to defence, whether it's the Singapore DOD or the Australian DOD or the US DOD, they're slow moving. You know, it's it's tough, it's bureaucratic. Um, the Americans very cleverly a few years ago through their Small Business Administration, which is an arm of government that's devoted to getting small businesses off the ground. And like, you know, I would imagine in Singapore and Australia and the US, most of the people are employed, most of the working population are employed by small business. So you have these global, you have these global tier one giants that employ people, but, but the majority of the working population is employed by small business. So the Americans set up the Small Business Administration and, and bizarrely, they teamed with the Department of Defense to, to, um, to allow early stage businesses like ours and an arm of defence to team up and come to the SBA and say, hey, here's a, here's a problem that defence or intelligence has got. Um, yeah, there's, there's internal programs looking at it, but there's all these really cool early stage businesses that are working right on the cutting edge of technology. We'd like, to, we'd like some money to do a program with them. So these are these things called SIBRs and SITRs, um, SBIR and STTRs. And they're funding programs with very short horizons, sort of 100,000 US to sort of a couple of million US, defined period of time, defined outcome. And so, you know, we've got many, many um, um, conversations with different arms of defence around different R&D projects that can get funded. And that's the way to fast track a, an outcome that we look for. And you asked the ACV question. So um, the... the, the uh, Civil, civil defence uh, and, and intelligence and, um, and foreign defence in the US and indeed first responders have this um, Android uh, uh, 
handheld device, um, it's a bit like a small iPad, that um, that has a an OS that runs on it called ATAC, which is the Android Tactical Awareness Kit, and that's the that's a that's a defence and intelligence sector secure environment that delivers situational awareness to the person that's holding it, whether they're a whether they're a first responder or they're in they're, you know they're a a, a a troop on the ground somewhere, and so the 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 big prize for us amongst the other amongst the other projects we're looking at with different arms of defense is to be deployed on that ATAC device for um, for use by any arm of defense or intelligence. And there are a couple of hundred thousand of those devices out there in circulation. So when, you know, the license model would that for that would be a certain amount of, of, of money, of dollars per seat per month. So that that ACV is probably an eight figure number. Um, and And ultimately, you know, you think about where's point. You know, what happens to Point Error in five years? Um, you know, we've been listed on Nasdaq for 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 a period. Our business has matured, still very much focused on that North American market, moving into Western Europe. We think the natural acquirer for us will be someone from data analytics or even uh, one of the one of the, the massive defence or intelligence contractors, simply because of the of of um, of the scale of the opportunity in that space. Ironically, Jonathan, LIDAR or 3D data capture was a defense hardware solution that was declassified by the US in the mid nineties. So it was developed by the defense sector, was declassified and became and entered the commercial sector. And indeed two of our, two of our, founding, uh, our founding US team members worked for the very, and I recruited them for this reason, they worked for the very first commercial business in North America in the 90s that, um, that did that was doing um, airborne capture with this recently declassified hardware. So we've got this pedigree in our business now with you know with 20 plus years of experience in 3D capture, particularly in North America. And and that that's standing us in really good stead as we as we turn back into the military and defense sector and say, well, we've been doing this since you guys let us play with this, well our people have since you guys let us play with this cool tech in the 90s. And we've taken it to the next level. We think you should you should look at, at uh, subscribing to this platform. So Thanks. it's yeah, it's a long run, uh, and I think uh, your observations, uh, you know, your observations around market excitement. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see what the market thinks when we do when we do make an announcement about about having secured some work in that sector. Yeah, and I really appreciate the insights on how uh, what is kind of like the angle that you're going with for the U.S. Department of Defense. Talking about the declassified uh, background of being declassified and how you angle to pitch that, I think that's really helpful to understand. I think the next part w- would be the software implementation, right? So I think uh, the timeline for large customers. I think the general market probably expected a fast large enterprise uh, customers like PG&E and Eversource. However, in the recent announcement announced that uh, large enterprises have already completed proof of concept deployment. And we've been following Pointera for quite a while. And I think this uh, proof of concept has been ongoing for more than six months. And we see that uh, it is moving ahead. So could you share some color on our software onboarding process? How long does it take to onboard a big enterprise customers? Is it 12 months, 18 months? Sure. So the answer to that, Jonathan, is best given by this statement. Our platform is used by people to change workflow and to shrink workflow so that they can get the answers quicker, right, with with more certainty, more accuracy. And to implement our platform, and because it's browser-based, it's breathtakingly simple once we get the data in. There's some there's there's a, there's always a big hump to, to do data ingestion and 
and gather it all up from the very various places it lives in a, in an enterprise. The the propensity to want to change workflow is the impediment. And the bigger the organisation, the harder it is to change workflow. And and when you think about utilities, even the the two hundred private sector ones that are that are, that were former public sector and are now owned, you know, by the stock listed on the stock exchange, owned by investors like you and me, they're still full of people that are that are from that you know very bureaucratic background, very slow moving. So the boards and the management teams of these big utilities now, particularly in a utility, Jonathan, you've got a regulated revenue stream. So there's a there's usually a, an economic authority, government agency that's saying, right, well, you've got $100 billion invested in poles and wires. We think the return, the economic return you should be able to get for, for the, in terms of tariffs for the electricity flowing through your network is so many cents per, per kilowatt hour. And that's, that's regulated. So, that, so as, a, as a public company, the only way to grow earnings is to rip cost out. And the only way to rip cost out is to innovate. And innovation involves doing things differently with hardware and software and shrinking cost shrinking workflow. So with all that said, um, people are resistant to change. And, um, and so the, the boards and the management teams of these big utilities and, and big companies generally tend to bring in consultants to help them drive change through the business. So um, PG&E had Accenture working with them for quite some time. Um, we're working with Deloitte uh, at a couple of other utilities. So if the, if, um, whereas some utilities like FPL uh, probably the most innovative utility in the world uh, and our biggest utility customer. Um, they, they've just got a culture of innovation in their business. They're owned by Next Era Energy, which is you know, one of the largest um, um, publicly traded um, power utility or energy utilities in North America. Um, so yeah, it, it, the, the, onboarding, the onboarding process is different for every customer because every customer or prospect is in, has a different path to, to innovation, a different culture. Some, some of them are able to drive it themselves. Others need external consultants, um, you know, to help them. So, yeah, it, but the prize when, you, you know, the prize is a seven-figure ACV that's, you know, we think the big, the big utilities will be plus two million US per annum. Um, and if you, if you think about our rev, the revenue stack we need to get to, to get to 50 mil US ACV and then 100, um, if, if, you, if, you, if your foundation... Is a, is, is a dozen customers paying you a couple of million US, um, you know, you're, you're well on your way. Thanks. Now, I want to move on to the total addressable market. I think Pointera Solutions is really diverse. It can be used in the utilities, the AEC, the mining uh, yep. defense industry. Uh, I think more use cases are being developed, you know, just that I think Pointera is really focused on utilities in the US right now. And I think there's still a long way to go, given that the ACV is only 10 million US dollars. You know, even with the 50 million target, I believe the total addressable market is uh, beyond that. I think you, you it spoke is. It's a lot that yourself. Yep. Uh, you actually had long-term target of 100 or 250 million. Did I hear it correctly yep. just now? 250 yep. million. I think the market seems to be severely understating this opportunity and it seems to misunderstand the entire opportunity entirely. So could you share what is the market missing? Well, I think the you know markets tend to price a company a year or so out. You know, they're not buying today's earnings, they're buying next year's earnings. And you know, if you were buying today's earnings, you, you you'd be happy to pay twenty five dollars a share for FMG, but iron ore's gone from two hundred dollars to a hundred dollars, so you're buying next year's earnings, and you know, so the share price is at fifteen or sixteen dollars. And so for us as a business that's sort of fast growing, the market, my view is that the the day to day valuation 
it's influenced by a complex mix of, of day traders, of bots, of retail people, of institution and, and sophisticated investors like your audience who are trying to enter at sensible points. And everyone's looking forward and saying, hmm, how are they going? How are they going to, are they on track to deliver? And because we report quarterly, uh, and we only report cash flow. We decided a couple of years ago to start um, reporting ACV because cash, our, our market, the ASX, makes us report cash flow quarterly, and it's it's a pretty blunt instrument. You know, cash ninety days is not long. There's not a long period of time when you're running a business like ours. Um, and so, you know, we we decided a couple of years ago to start reporting ACV at least quarterly, so that we could give the market a, a different view on 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 our metrics. And of course, the market's now saying, well, at 10 million ACV, when's that going to turn into cash and revenue? And, and, and there is a lag. And the lag at the moment is you know, approaching 12 months. So what we need to do is continue to grow ACV to shrink that, to shrink the realisation of, of, of that ACV into cash and revenue. And you know, it's, it's complex, Jonathan. I mean, if, you could, if, you could, if, if I could answer that with absolute certainty, then we'd both be we'd probably both be writing algorithms for um, investment banks and trading, you know, trading platform <laughs> algorithms. So, yeah, I think the market, you know, our job um, working within the framework of the of the of the ASX um, continuous disclosure obligations is to is to give the market as much information as we're able to. We don't have forecasts out there. We have aspirational targets of fifty and hundred million and beyond of ACV, and. And, you know, then I've got to spend a chunk of my time educating people, you know, and, and talking to people like your audience, but, but, and an appropriate amount of time, but I've also got to make sure I'm there to help coach and manage the, the team and the business. And, and so back to the conversation earlier about impediments to growth, if I've got to um, put an IR hat on investor relations like this, and then, and then go and micromanage the business, we're not going to get out of bed. So to scale, we need to hire fantastic. I, my job is to hire fantastic people and to give them the tools they need to succeed and then get out of their way, you know. Um, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a the the it's a, it's an interesting question that and um, <laughs> one that I often muse about. And like you know, why ninety cents in February and why thirty five cents two weeks ago and why fifty cents today and why why <laughs> five cents last June, you know. <laughs> Thanks. I think, Ian, so when I talk about what uh, investors are missing, I'm thinking more of the qualitative side because I think yep. uh, for most retail investors, uh, you know, they, they don't see the brightness of the future. They are not the owner of the business. They can't really have that conviction as you. So for you sure. to say that uh, you aspire Pointera to have $100 million, $250 million yep. ACV, could you share yep. with us why are you so convicted? Are you looking and sure. uh, banging the mining industry? Do you think there's a next big industry that is really huge? Could you share with us more? Well, I think, you know, if you look at that presentation where we lay out our six target markets and those verticals that you listed off before, Jonathan, we've got in our CRM, in our sales pipeline, we've got deals that and, and prospects that support that 50 mil, that 100 mil and beyond just in each one of those sectors alone. So, it, it, you know, whilst it's aspirational, that level of revenue, it's not just made up like, oh, that would be a nice target. Let's aim for that. It's actually built from the bottom up with real prospects and existing customers who are paying us a certain amount who we expect to, to continue to grow their spend with us. So, so the confidence comes from knowing that we've got a, a, a solution to a problem that's endemic across each of those sectors. The, the companies that own assets in each of those sectors and the mapping companies that provide them data and the AEC sector that build and design in 3D and construct and maintain 
the things that, that the, the physical assets that live in those sectors, they all use 3D data. Um, they've all got the same problem. And that problem is I need to get the answer faster and more simply. And, and so we know we've got relevance. And so our, our challenge is to market to those, uh, to those sectors, to the customers in those verticals, and to market to them. Your sales and BD people have to have domain knowledge. They have to, you can't just walk in and say, I don't know anything about the mining sector, but I know my platform can solve your problems. You need to be able to walk into a mining company and start talking their language and, and have them comfortable that you know you, you've actually been there. Maybe you're out of a mining company. And indeed, you know, we're looking increasingly to hire for our BD and salespeople, hire them out of operators in those sectors because they've, in many cases, spent 10, 15, 20 years of their, of their working career, maybe in an engineering role or maybe in a geospatial role or, or an asset management role in those sectors. And, you know, we, if we find the right people, you know, they're, they're, uh, and those people are increasingly looking us up and saying, hey, love what you're doing. Can I come and represent you in, in that sector in this market? So, so, uh, so qualitatively, um, I think what the market's saying, or my read is, it's saying, yeah, well, we see what you see what your aspiration is, and at this point, our bet is that um, you're going to get there at this period of time, and that just, that boils down into this share price. And you know, if we if we announce a few contract wins and we and we up ACV by a bigger amount, I mean, the irony is, last year I think we had a we upped ACV one quarter, and it was a forty percent number, right? And then. Earlier this year, we upped the ACV by a similar dollar number, but the percentage was smaller because, you know, law of small numbers, you know, as you increase the base. So we actually, we continue to move the needle, but the percentage looks smaller and the market goes, oh, what happened to 40% growth? <laughs> so, but the great thing about a subscription business, Jonathan, is that the, the existing customers continue to spend more. So each quarter and each year, you start with an installed ACV base that's going to grow organically, and then you add more customers New customers into the hopper, and 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 so you do get a very um, very powerful compounding effect, and it is very sticky. So I, th- I just think the market's saying, you know, um, expressed through the share price, um, yeah, okay, point error. You know, it looks like you're on track, but and the big tier one institutions. I mean, the the, the most important thing for, for managing the register of a public company is to have what we call um, strong hands, right? Strong hands, right. which means like your investors, you know, there's volatility <laughs> in the share price, and they don't panic and they don't sell. So weak yep. hands sell. So weak hands are attracted to volume and, and price movement because they think they can trade it. And then if there's a bit, you know, if, if, if the excitement dies down, they go elsewhere. That's not the right. sort of investor that we want in our business. We want strong hands. Now, of course, strong hands can become less strong over time if they think you're not delivering. So <laughs> um, that's my job is to speak to people like you, to speak to tier one uh, institutional investors and give them a reason to want to be a strong hand in our stock. Thanks. I think Ian, your insight about 100 million, 250 million is not just cooked up. You actually have this deals or this opportunities that is really lined up in your CRM. I think that was really helpful. Now I want to move mm-hmm. on to competition. So I think in Singapore we had our uh, Singapore Geospatial Week. It's kind of like a forum that talks yep. about the geospatial space, and we yep. notice our key big players like Hexagon. Autodesk, as we are offering business intelligence and predictive capabilities as well, yep. uh, which sounds similar uh, based on my limited experience. Uh, yep. You can correct me later, which is which sounds similar to what Pointera has launched recently. You, you guys have launched the Answers solution. And I yep. think just recently, Palantir also partnered with Black Sky and Palantir also does allow customers to drive insights uh, within yep. their data. So more specifically, yep. we know that PG&E uses both Pointera and Palantir as well. 
So how should we think about our competitive edge when sure. there are big players like Palantir, sure. uh, Autodesk, yep. SV around? So I think there's a couple of observations there, Jonathan. One is there's there's so much opportunity and you shouldn't be afraid of competition. Competition is is important because it keeps you agile and it keeps you on your toes. It, you know, it reinforces that culture of, uh, of continuous innovation. That said, most of the big... Pointera's significant advantage, competitive advantage, apart from its tech stack and its people, is aligned to the tech stack, is that we were designed and conceived for the cloud. And we are very, very focused on making sure that everything we do is able to be deployed to the cloud and then humans can stand back, data comes in, answers go out and an insight comes out and it happens uh, hands off because if humans get involved, it's expensive to scale. So, you know, we're trying to scale to a 50, 100, 200 million and beyond in, in ACV. That can't happen profitably or at the margins I think we can generate if you've got if that requires hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. A lot of these massive companies, your Autodesks, your Hexagons, your, your Esri's, um, Bentley's, uh, MicroStation, um, all, the, all the laser scanning hardware manufacturers and their software, you know, they've been doing this for 20 odd years. They've got massive, uh, we, we, we interoperate um, through our open API structure with, with all of those big application environments. They're embedded. You know, most government organizations and large companies have an Esri deployment. Esri was the the you know is the found found founding tech for uh, for for mapping you know specifically for two D and, and increasingly for three D so you have to be able to play with those guys and be open and integrate with them um, but a lot of them are trying to migrate not just their software to the cloud they're also trying to migrate their business model instead of an upfront subscription and then a, a and then a maintenance fee and their customers are in, you know that that's hard to do. Um, it's hard and, and, you know, they're, they're big organisations. They're not. So, so we've got these advantages, which is we're a pure cloud play, design and conceive for the cloud. We, um, we, um, we're, 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 we think we're more agile and entrepreneurial than those guys and we can respond faster to, to, to what the market's looking for, what the customers are looking for. So, uh, you know, there's, there's, given that we're a workflow, our, our platform is a workflow solution and we shrink workflow, the existing workflow is lots and lots of desktop and hybrid cloud desktop software products. So, so in a sense, yeah, we've got enormous competition because we're, we're, we're challenging existing workflow. But in another sense, we almost have no competition because our business model remains somewhat unique. There's really no one out there that's, that's combining data storage, visualization, analytics, business intelligence, all in that one integrated cloud platform. And, um, and that to me, as I said at the start of this presentation, um, the tech stack's important, um, and the people are the people are the most important thing. But our business model is what we think really sets us apart. Thanks. I think you know. I just want to uh, follow up with the question on switching costs because, from what I understand, when I do analytics visualizations on Tableau, I'm not sure if you heard of this yep. software that's Tableau, right? I think yep. it's pretty much well known, and m- most people will know it. I think it is very easy for me to always. I mean, if if I want to move my data right off Tableau, it is very easy. But I think if I want to move the processing part like how i process my data from step one and i do all these little functions to finally crystallize my data clean it up and then get insights i think this part is really hard to move right it's hard for me to move for example from tableau to autoix and still move my insights as well 
So is this the right way to think about it? Like, I think there's always this common fear by people who are not in the industry, who do not understand Pointera solution that, hey, you know, even though it's a few hundred terabyte of uh, 3D data that you're mapping, it's so easy for someone to, to just move their data over. But is it true that it is harder to move these workflows and this analytics that comes uh, with your entire uh, technology stack? Is that in terms of someone copying us, Jonathan, or in terms of a customer onboarding? I think in terms of a customer trying to switch to someone else, how easy it is for oh, them to do that. Right. Once they're a point error customer. So yeah. once you know, once they've, we've got to a level of, of integration with a customer's workflow where they've got point error core deployed and they've and they've and we've and we've got an analytics suite for them and then perhaps even they've become a, an answers suite customer, which is business intelligence and and that pushing of insight rather than them having to request it. And, and for another call, we can talk about voice because we see voice and voice interaction as a big part of our future for our customers. Um, that we become really embedded in their workflow, and and you're seeing you just, you yourself described how how long it's taking us to implement in these significant seven figure ACV customers. The yeah, they can walk away, but if you continue to be their business partner and that person they can turn to. At the moment, they're turning to us as humans and saying, hey, Pointera, can you do this? We see voice and AI, AI voice assisted in the future where, where someone can, can, can look at a screen, look at the asset they're managing, look at that digital twin in our platform and say, hey, Pointera, tell me this. More, and moving forward again uh, to, a, to another future state where people walk into the room and they've been out of the room for 10 minutes and, and their device, their little speaker in the corner or their, or their screen says, hey, Hey Jonathan, did you know when you while you were gone, this happened to your to your asset, to your network, to your mind, this thing you care about? And we've told you that because you you gave us your business rules and you told us the things you cared about. And we've got all this data coming in and we're pushing you the insight as we detect it because you've told us what you want to know. Now, if you've got that level of engagement with a customer, that's very, very, very hard to, to undo. But customer trust and uh, can be can can evaporate very quickly. So think about that. These US utilities, in particular, their their transmission networks, in particular, and to some extent their distribution networks, they're they're called critical infrastructure assets in North America. So to have the digital twin of that data in in a cloud platform that's owned by an Australian, albeit public company, there, there's some significant risk hurdles that those customers have had to overcome and trust hurdles before they're willing to entrust their, their very valuable, their, their critical infrastructure data with us. So, um, and so to me, that's a, that's a, that's a reflection on, on the security of our platform, on the quality of our solution, and, and just how well regarded our people are. So you, when you wrap all that up, once it's a while to get into those businesses and get set, but once you're there, you know, you're really there. And I think the market, that, that annuity income stream is very sticky, that grows, that's high margin. When the market better understands our, our story and looks at some of the, the, the broker research that's, that's being done, you know, they'll understand that, yeah, this, um, this is going to be a very, very high revenue, um, high profit. I mean, we're going to be, we think, Jonathan, one of these perfect stories in a few years' time that's growing revenue, that's growing earnings, but it's also paying dividends. Because you know we will be generating a significant amount of cash, and um, short of hiring more people um, to continue to grow the business, there won't be a lot to spend it on. 
Thanks. I hope the day where dividends come will take as long as possible because I'm a growth investor, yes. long-term investor. And I hope that yeah. you reinvest all your earnings to grow and secure future uh, customers. <laughs> Let's hope that happens. So I, I just want to add on a bit because I think this is something that the market really misunderstands. So I think recently you released on 20 September that you actually got uh, Enterprise Customer Project Awards with Florida Power and Light, you know, yeah. PG&E, Grid Vision. And I think, is this a fair statement, right? So let me just say it and, you know, you can hop on onto it, Ian. So I yep. think that the market is really myopic right now. They're just looking at the revenues that are coming in, but they are not recognizing that when the customers come in, they're going to start using data processing as a service. They're going to use data analytics as a service, right? So they're going to be upgrades. And I mean, if the whole entire purpose of the client is to get insights, it is almost a guarantee that they will actually upgrade, right? Uh, buy into upgrades to get those insights. So is this a they're getting them from somewhere, it? Jonathan? Yeah, they're getting them from somewhere. And at the moment, it's either internal or external groups of people, service providers that are crunching data at the desktop. So they're getting that insight, but it's taking them a long time and there are errors and 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 there's just too much time. That, you know, the, 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 as the time grows between acquiring data and getting the insight, the longer that time period is, the less efficacy that data has. So we, you know, we've got a drone customer in the US, Precision Hawk, that 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 flies um, um, power networks, and you know they they were they were taking two weeks to turn around a day's worth of flying to get that. And and since they've been using our platform, they've been a customer for two years now. That's down to you know less than an hour. So the drone they spend a day in the field with the drone, an hour later the customer's got the answer instead of two weeks. So that's, you know, that's, wow. <laughs> that's the value you create. That's the value we're creating for a customer. And that's what you can reflect through pricing and, and, you know, and, and Precision Hawk have voted with their, with their wallet and that, you know, we're, we've, we've been a two-year customer. Right. And I think Ian, from what you've been saying, from what we've been discussing about this competition, I think the talk about competition, it seems like you're starting to become like a sales force or a CRM for the geospatial stack for companies, right? And because you talk about workflows, right? Uh, people getting this uh, push notifications. So basically yep. the process is uh, so embedded and, you know, it, if they want That's to find analysis. someone else, uh, you know, they have to do it all over yep. again. So Salesforce, the data that lives in Salesforce is the CRM information of the, of the prospects for the company that's using Salesforce. For us, the data is the 3D data. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good analogy. Um, I like it. Salesforce for the geospatial sector. <laughs> right. And basically the entire, uh, you have your technicians, which will not be, uh, which will be pushed by a process that is all automated to say, hey, your vegetation is growing. You got to start scheduling. If two months before the system detects that nothing is scheduled, there'll be a problem again. Hey, why are you not scheduling? Is this Correct. the right way to think about it? Because Correct. I'm not in it the is. industry. It is. And, okay. and you're talking predictive. That's the holy grail of asset management. You know, if you're, if you're a US utility spending $100 million a year um, on, on vegetation um, encroachment into your network, and you can either spend that, spend less than $100 million and or do it smarter because you've got, you've got a, a solution that's giving you better intelligence about when to do it and how much to do, then, then you're going to be better off. And remember, you've got a capped revenue model in those, in those particular entities. And so um, you, the only way to grow earnings is to, is to rip cost out of the business. And to do that, you've got to innovate. Thanks, Ian. Now, just one last question. Uh, I yes. don't know if you've uh, heard from our podcast. We always like to end off with a very unique and interesting question. So, Ian, if you have a magic wand, okay, 
and you and with a wave of that one, you can solve uh, three problems in Pointera. Okay, what are yep. the three problems or challenges that you face right now and you hope that it can get uh, solved and resolved as quickly as possible? Okay, the first is to hire more fantastic people. If I could triple or quadruple our existing team with the same sorts of people, fantastic. If I could get our target mark, that's the first problem, magic wand. The second one would be to get our target customers, those tier one customers in each of those segments to, could they talk a story about innovation, but then they don't follow that up with action. So if I could somehow wave a magic wand and the, <laughs> the leadership in those businesses who say, yes, we innovate, that all their team for each layer down would would walk, we call it walk the walk and talk the talk, right? Right, they, right. Everyone's good at talking the talk. If they could walk the walk, that would squash our sales cycle. And then I, so, I guess the third thing would be something that's very germane to, to what we're doing at Pointera, and that is artificial intelligence in the 3D space is still very, very cutting edge. It's not artificial intelligence in imagery in 2d is a solved science it's a solved problem you can rent this you can rent solutions you can download code packs from github and other places but but 3d data um so 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 to find more of those really clever um mathematicians and geophysicists that that, that are thinking in that in that deep deep learning neural network approach to getting our analytics to work smarter. Um, so if we could make some step changes and we're, you know, it's coming, but if, if that third magic one would be to compress the time it's going to take for us to, to get that code to learn on its own. And because Thanks. then that'll, that'll <laughs> solve more problems more quickly. It'll create more value for our customers and they'll spend more money with us. Thanks, Ian. I think uh, this is the end of the questions. Thank you for being so generous with your time. Pleasure. And being so open and uh, it really helped. I think this will definitely help the listeners understand Pointera on a deeper level. Thank you so much. Uh, my absolute pleasure, Jonathan. All right, that is the interview with Pointera's CEO, Ian Olson. And thank you for listening to our Growth Investing Secrets podcast. For more videos on growth investing, join me on my YouTube channel at Invest with Jang or click the link in the description below. And I'll see you in the next podcast.